If you have a Bible with you, please grab it and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 will be there this this morning. Uh, Verses 8 through 14 will be our text. You may feel the tension in Jesus' words when he says in Matthew 5.16, You are the light of the world. We're light, which entails a certain ethical distinctiveness, goodness, righteousness, and truth. Humanity set right. We may think of verses like Proverbs 14, do not enter the path of the wicked, avoid it, do not go on it. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And yet we are the light of the world and we are in the world, in the midst of darkness. And Jesus doesn't tell us to separate from our, form our own neighborhoods or get new jobs when we become Christians with only Christian bosses and colleagues. We're God's new covenant people. We don't go out from our place to a place set apart for Christians, like our own land. We go out from our place to the ends of the earth. Jesus, our own model, he the light of the world, eating with tax collectors and sinners, purposefully shocking his disciples to show them the path that they must as well follow. Apparently, the path of righteousness and the path of the wicked can have you in the same house eating the same food. The light of the world in the world. Well, how can we balance presence in the world without partnership with the world and its sin? How can we balance living wisely in an evil age with our witness in a world where God is saving men and women who are his enemies. And what do we do in those instances when how we ought to live isn't immediately clear from any particular verse of scripture? We wish we had more commands sometimes. Well, Jesus sent his spirit and his spirit inspired the New Testament, which is full of letters largely from his apostles to first century churches. In churches like ours, in times like ours, with a tension, this very tension, just like the one that we know. And Ephesians is such a letter. It says we walked according to the course of this world, but now we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so we are ever present in the world, and yet we do not partner with the world in its sin. And our verses this morning are the answers to the question why and how to go about that. Let's read together. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, what we have before us in this passage is a casserole. A metaphor casserole. Did you catch them all? Light. Walking, fruit, children, sleeping, waking up, resurrection from the dead. It's a beautiful metaphor casserole for a balanced and bright moral life. The main imperative here is this. Walk as children of the light. Walking is the controlling metaphor of the whole book of Ephesians. It's used seven times in the book. And light is the controlling metaphor for this particular section. Walk is a metaphor for life, and light is a metaphor for how we walk in life. So how do we walk as children of the light? As those who live in the same world as the first disciples navigated in this, first, this early church that Paul wrote to, this is our question that Paul is writing to us to answer. And it's our question for this morning. How do we walk as children of the light? Thankfully, Paul does not leave us in the dark. 
using this walking imagery, we'll consider five spiritual muscles it takes to walk as children of the light. And we are extending the metaphor just a bit. Think physical therapy. You may have been in an accident of some fashion and you were down for a bit and a physical therapist helped you regain your strength and you might have discovered muscles you didn't know existed but that you concluded you very much need and apparently use all the time. Well, the spirit through the apostle Paul will be our spiritual therapist this morning. We'll consider five spiritual muscles and along the way we'll consider the dangers, two dangers common to each muscle. Dangers of neglect and the dangers of abuse. Or we could say the danger of not using this muscle at all or the danger of only using this muscle in the Christian walk of life. So let's get into it. First, walking as children of the light means remembering. It means remembering. Verses 8 through 9. Paul will give us some commands, but he is first concerned to remind us of something. Verse 8. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Remembering is a spiritual muscle. We even need reminders to remember. Interesting, he doesn't say, at one time you walked in darkness. He says, at one time you were darkness. And it's true we walked in darkness apart from Christ. But it is also true that the darkness was inside us. That it was us. We weren't stuck or trapped in the darkness, although that is true. We were at the same time at home in the darkness. We blended right in and effortlessly. Paul says earlier in his letter, we were dead in our, our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And what kind of path were we walking on? And he tells us, we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were on the devil's path, he says, and it was the path our bodies wanted to walk. It was the path the rest of the world was on. So, hey, it was the path we wanted to walk on, and it was also the path to wrath. And why were we on that kind of path? Well, as the book of Ephesians unfolds, Paul describes for us the inner person that used to be us. We were futile in our minds and darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God due to ignorance, the hardness of our heart. He says we were calloused and therefore we gave ourselves to all kinds of impurity and sensuality and greed. Sin includes what we do but it is also who we are. It is external, but it is internal first. Behavior always follows from being. We do not just sin, we are sinners. We did not just walk in the dark. He says we were darkness. So remember that, Christian, once you were darkness. But don't just remember that. Let's read on. Verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And those words, but now, are familiar words. If you read through Ephesians, just circle all of those contrasts. Were, but now, you are. We were dead in our sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. We were far from God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now in our passage, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so if hearing that you were darkness was a little glib, here now, Christian, you are light, which is glorious. So remember your identity. 
And not just from where you've come, but who you are and whose you are. You are children of light. And this muscle is first for a reason. If you neglect this muscle, the others don't actually work. Remember. The first danger is to neglect this muscle and to forget to remember, to forget what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. The other danger is to remember and that's it. Only to use this muscle and to forget that being children of the light means reflecting the light of the Father to whom we belong. We walk a certain way as Christians because we bear a certain name, child of God. Maybe your life changed when you got a degree or you put on the doctor's coat or you were promoted to that rank. You viewed yourself differently and it showed and that was appropriate. Well, what we're talking about here is an identity deeper and more lasting than any of the little identities we have in this life, however big they may be. These little identities change our life and our relationship with the people around us. And we don't take them with us into the grave. But the gospel changes our eternity and our relationship with the very maker of the universe himself. And so you are an adopted child And so adopt the identity and the walk of an adopted child of light. That's the first muscle, remembering. Don't forget it. Remember. Second muscle. Walking as children of light means discerning. Discerning. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. My friend's young son was smart, really smart, but in a surprising and somewhat narrow way. When he was learning math, he was able to do all kinds of math problems and somewhat quickly, but he hit a ceiling after too, after too long. And uh, there were some oddities, inconsistencies along the way. Turns out he was incredible at memorization. So he learned by rote. One plus one equals two. He's got it. Two plus two equals four. He's got it. And it would never leave. But he didn't understand why one plus one equaled two. For him, it was a script to repeat. He didn't get why. Systems of morality and religion can be this way. Rote learning for rote living, like programming. And it's not all bad. Humanly speaking, we're all better off for most people not murdering other people for whatever reason they want to not murder each other. I'm all right with that. But spiritually speaking, we are really no better off for keeping good rules for other reasons. Christianity gives us more than a script. It gives us a new spirit. And with that comes an ability and a responsibility to, here's our word, discern. Sometimes I'll say to one of my children, you know better. And I'm almost never saying that about something we've actually ever talked about. So what do I mean? You know better. Well, you're my child and I'm your father and therefore you just know better. That's all there is to it. And they get it. A mechanic doesn't need someone dictating his or her every move. They have the equipment and the know-how to make the car run. And a surgeon doesn't need someone dictating his or her every single move. They know how to discern the body and how to fix the body if it's fixable. That's how discerning works. And think about what this means for you and me. For we are not discerning how to make a car run or how to make a body healthy. We get to discern, have the ability to discern what pleases the Lord. To reflect on this means a few things. It means that the Lord can be pleased with things that we say, think, and do. And what a privilege. That's how it was supposed to be with humans. We have what's been called a moral imagination. Something that toads don't have. They don't wake up and think, what would the Lord have me do today? Or would this please the Lord? Hmm. A beaver does not consider 
how the Lord might smile on his life today in the manner in which he builds his dam. He just gets about his work as the Lord has made him to with no respect to God. And God's not looking for him to ponder what would please the Lord. But he does with us as humans. Discerning what pleases the Lord is a sacred privilege unique to us and what a privilege it is to be set right that we might do this. It also means that we can displease the Lord. Ephesians will talk about uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. It also means that we actually can discern what pleases the Lord. We have the equipment, the Holy Spirit indwells us and we have the sword of the spirit the shield of faith and the belt of truth we have righteousness and the know-how the very knowledge of the lord we know the incomprehensible love of christ and we're filled with the fullness of god chapter three of this book will say so friends if we walked in sin quite naturally because our minds and hearts were darkened then there is a sense in which when our minds and hearts are brightened there is a reflexive kind of impulse to a righteous life, not perfectly so, but there is a motion in that direction that was impossible to conceive before we knew the Lord. And every hour we are together strengthens this muscle. In this room, every hour and every minute you spend meditating on the word of God, your muscles, this spiritual muscle is strengthened. And oh, you may not feel like it, just like walking doesn't feel like working out your legs. But if you've ever had to be in a bed for a couple weeks after a surgery or something, and then you tried to walk, you realized, oh yes, walking was helping. All kinds of muscles, it was helping. So keep showing up and keep reading. And slowly, yes, the Lord will strengthen your muscles. Finally, it means that the Lord wants wants us to discern what pleases him. It's not that he was running out of paper and so he didn't give us particulars he might have otherwise given us. It's that he actually left us space to put to work what we know about him and what he's given us that we might discern what pleases him in life. We're his children. He's our father. We're like metal detectors on a hunt for the precious treasure of the Lord's pleasure in our lives. And yes, some metals are harder to find than others and yet our orientation of our lives is around the pleasure of God in us and we're on a hunt always looking it's interesting it seems that the Lord actually takes pleasure in our process of discerning this Paul was happy in the New Testament letters to give us lists of sins sin lists and virtue lists but there are all kind of particulars he did not give us for how to live here and there Think of Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in order that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Later in the same letter, by then, he's given some bold instructions and commands. It's almost like he feels a little bad for being so bold. He mentions his boldness, but then says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. You guys got this. I know you do. You don't need me to give you these commands and instructions. You know the Lord. Then in this letter to Philemon, Paul is writing in order that Philemon might accept a man named Amissimus that he's sending to him. Paul's in prison and Onesimus is a new brother in the Lord. He was a slave and he's sending him to Philemon saying, receive him as a brother and please send him back to me. And Paul says this, listen to the optimism. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I actually prefer to appeal to you. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that I, he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but on your own accord. What he's saying is, he actually prefers not to give 
Philemon a particular command concerning what he really ought to do because he would prefer that Philemon on his own accord of his own goodness make that decision. And the Lord is pleased when on account of your goodness and your knowledge of the Lord, you discern what pleases him and act on that. So discernment is an underappreciated responsibility in the Christian life, even though we engage it each day. One takeaway here is that it's okay for sermons to leave you room to discern what pleases the Lord. A sermon no doubt should model discernment with examples and illustrations, but you should not expect that Sunday's preacher will tell you exactly the five things that you must do. We may give you lists, but you really, after hearing the word of God, frankly have what you need to please the Lord this week. And you aren't lacking anything if we've faithfully exposed and expounded the word of God. Your life this week is the lab of the sermon on Sunday. And so we discern and we decide how to live on account of what will please the Lord, a sacred trust indeed. But as with each of these muscles we're looking at, there are dangers in the neglect and in the abuse of the muscle and not using it and only using it. First, there's the danger when we relativize our discernment, when we relativize it. On the one hand, each of us may discern differently what pleases the Lord. We're all going to do our best here. He says, try to discern. And that's a thing for every Christian to be about. Romans 14, 5, Paul is addressing the differences that Christians have at times in trying to discern what pleases the Lord. He says, one person esteems one day is better than another while another just seems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind and live according to how he understands the Lord would be pleased with him. And the Lord is pleased when we live in such a way as to please him, even if we may have a thing wrong at times. But this individual responsibility to discern can be perverted into something different, into individual autonomy, where the responsibility of the discernment becomes something of a loophole for permissiveness. As if Paul said, discern what you're comfortable with and do that. When addressed, we say things like, each man to himself, or I'm not a legalist, or maybe we don't say it in quite that way. We say, my conscience is clear. And yet we fail to remember that while we should never sin against our conscience, everything our conscience permits isn't necessarily what would please the Lord. Our consciences themselves are being formed by the word of God so that we should seek to persuade one another concerning what would bring the Lord pleasure. And we should always be open to the idea that we may have gotten this equation wrong and we may need to adjust in any area of life. That's the first danger. We relativize discernment. Well, there's an opposite, subtler, and equally dangerous danger. And that is that we absolutize our discernment. We absolutize it. This is where we try to discern what pleases the Lord and then we elevate our discernment to the word of God and make it universal for everyone. The Pharisees were famous for making rules that kept themselves from breaking rules and then making those rules rules for everybody without exception. To them it was super holiness it sounds like it, right? What was it to Jesus? For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Because by adding to the word of God, they said God's word is not enough. We need to pick up where he left off. And what we think is wise for us is as important as what he has said to us. Here's how it often works. You may be familiar with a thing called the ladder of abstraction. If not, let me see if I can give you a very practical and fun example, even a tasty example of a ladder of abstraction. This is what we might call the ladder of cheeseburger abstraction. You have the green chili double on the first rung. You have Whataburger on the next rung. You have fast food on the next rung. Then you have food on the rung after that. The higher you go, 
the more broad or general the idea. And just because the green chili double at the bottom is heavenly does not mean that all fast food is heavenly, okay? So that's a cheeseburger ladder of abstraction. Well, here is a ladder of moral abstraction, a ladder of moral abstraction. Sexual intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage. Rung number one. The world's culture of hookup dating. Rung number two. Dating in general. Rung number three. And then a man looking on the beauty of a woman and admiring it. Rung number four. Just because the thing at the bottom is against God's direct commands does not mean that everything on the ladder of abstraction is sinful. Although sometimes in tempted to protect marriage, we do what the Pharisees did and create rules that protect us from breaking rules that protect us from breaking rules and it feels like super holiness but what it is is voiding the word of God. Which doesn't mean that at each rung we don't need discernment as to what will please the Lord. We just need to know where we're at on the ladder. In both of these temptations, the deeper, the deeper temptation is to elevate ourselves over the word of God, over what pleases the Lord. When we relativize, we elevate our discernment over the word of God. And when we absolutize, we elevate our discernment over the word of God. So those are two dangers. Now some tips on this point, some tips. Maybe you'd say, I don't know WPTL. You really want to know what pleases the Lord. You've already made an acronym for it, WPTL. Well, here are three tips. First, first, know the Lord. Know the Lord. Do you know the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blesses us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? As Paul says in the first chapter of this book, do you know that happy, blessed God? Do you know the one who in love predestines us for adoption as sons and daughters? Do you know the one who lavishes grace upon us? And do you know the one who is rich in mercy and great in love, who takes those who walk in sin and makes them walk in good works, even good works that he has lovingly and wisely prepared long beforehand in order that you might walk in them? Do you know this God? Because the invitation is open to you if you don't. As we'll see in this sermon, light makes darkness flee. And it is not a surprise when exposed by the light, which is maybe what you've done your whole life, you have hidden and hidden with arguments or by proximity. You have not entered a church, but you have today and you're being drawn to the light and you're actually okay with having your sin exposed. My friends, God is at work, come into the light. He's shining on your soul. You can know the Lord and you can know and discern what pleases him in knowing him. And if you know him, second, study what pleases him. Ask yourself questions. Why did he lavish grace upon us in order that his grace might be praised? So is this something that will bring God's grace praise in my life? Why did he make us alive in Christ and send Jesus to die for our sins and shed his blood? for their penalty. Why did he do that for us? In order that me might walk in good works he's prepared beforehand. So is this something from which the Lord has saved me or is this something that the Lord has prepared me to walk in? Why did he give us marriage which he'll address later in chapter five? Well, to picture the love of his son for his church. So is this something that will help the display of the gospel ring more brightly in the world through my marriage or not? And lots of things we might say, think, or do in a marriage have an easy yes or no to that. He saved us in order to display his manifold wisdom and the uniting of impossibly diverse peoples. Look around the room. Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, male and female, old and young. So does this thing I want to say about a brother or sister help prove the manifold wisdom of God? Does it demonstrate that I care as much as well about the unity of our church and in pursuing it? 
any of these sins can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we ask, does this grieve God for me to engage in it? Know the Lord and study what pleases him. Third, try. He says, try to discern. Oh, if you're not trying, uh, you're not going to be very good at discerning what pleases the Lord. Make a thing out of this. Think, how can I please the Lord today? And then wonder at the possibility. Be astounded at the possibility that in your life today, the Lord might be made happy and rejoice over you. What a pleasure. Third, walking as children of the light means refraining. It means refraining. Verse 11a, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part. Refrain. We don't grow plants in my family. My grandmother on my dad's side watered a fake plant on a hutch for a decade. When family was over, this was witnessed and she was asked about it and it was a memory. And I've grown up hearing this story. My grandma on my mother's side, anytime you go over, would walk us around the perimeter of the backyard with every one of a hundred flowers turning into conversation. A wonderful, wonderful lady who knew her flowers. She died a few years ago. And from her home, I snatched a book, uh, which identifies, I think, 101 flowers or something, and she knew them all. Refraining. Well, I didn't get that from my grandmother on my mother's side. I've killed philodendron and cacti in my home because I didn't put them by the window because I didn't care enough to put them by the window. And so they were gone. They were given to me. My friends, nothing good grows in the dark. Plants don't grow there. And what is good, what is right, and what is true does not grow in the dark. And so you and I have no business in the dark for there is no legitimate business for the Christian to conduct in darkness. Two dangers give this muscle regular trouble. The first one, neglect. We're tempted to participate in sin instead of refrain. And so we neglect this muscle of refraining from participating in the darkness. You might respond with something like, well, it's not that bad what I'm doing. But how can you tell? Because it's in the dark. And darkness is a cloak for what's in the dark. You actually can't see. And so you need to trust God's word. If it's not that bad what you're doing, then how come you haven't told anyone? Or how come you've only told those people that might be okay with it? Or how come you hide it? It's just pixels on a screen. We're not having intercourse. It's just one more bottle. They're just words. I need to vent. I need someone to talk to. The government takes enough of my money already. They want reconciliation and they're repentant, yes, but you don't know what they did. I can't and won't forgive them. Or at least now. We'll see about later. You may be saying these kinds of things. This is darkness. You may be saying these kinds of things, but really, really wish that you weren't. But it's where you're at. And you're discouraged for how easy it is for you to walk in darkness. My friends, your muscles are atrophied. And that's discouraging news. And you know that already. It's not encouraging to have a muscle that hardly works. But that's the case for you if you're in a position like this. But the good news is that as you resist, you build resistance. The first thing you do is come into the light and own it. And then you resist and you say no to sin. As it wells up in temptation, you say no and you don't indulge it. And you're not going to achieve a great feat of perfect victory over that thing in the immediate. But as you resist, your muscle is strengthened. Use this muscle and it will get stronger and one day you'll be able to say no and it will take effort but it will not be excruciating as it is now to say no. Little at a time. He says, take no part and he can say that to his readers and it means don't be too patient with yourself with respect to darkness. Get to work now at refraining. The encouraging thing is that he says, take no part to the Christian, which means that you can actually take no part. You can actually flee from sexual immorality. 
you can actually put off the old self and put on the new. So there is the danger of not refraining. Second, there is the danger of only using this muscle. Like this is all that you do in the Christian walk. This is when you make the whole of life in the world about not participating in certain things the world does. Defined by our refraining. It's the only thing we're interested in. It's where all of our energy can go when this is the only muscle we use. We may mistake proximity to the world for participation with the world's sins and do everything we can to get away. But God has very much more for us to do in the world besides merely not participate in the world's sins. And one symptom that we're using this muscle alone to walk in the Christian walk is that we're grumpy because it's such an unhappy part of the Christian life, this fight it is. And it can make us proud when we don't hold it together in balance with the other muscles. Well, the fourth spiritual muscle is related. So fourth, walking as children of the light means exposing, exposing. The rest of verse 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. With respect to darkness, we have two responses. One is passive and one is active. And we've looked at the passive one. We refrain from participation in the sins common to darkness. But then we positively and actively expose them. And what are the unfruitful works exactly? Well, we've named a few, alluded to a few, and there are others mentioned in Paul's book, and many of them we can't even mention. He's not concerned to put a name to them. They're shameful too much even to mention, but we don't need help. Of course, the darkness, apart from God's intervention, does not like this exposure. Remember what Jesus said in John 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So as God renews your mind so that you're able to test and approve and discern what is his pleasing and perfect will, you'll notice how silly the darkness is when it starts to talk about itself or tries to speak about right or wrong or in moral terms. How its eyes adjust to the dark. And you don't usually have to look too many days behind you in the news to pick up an example of this. Just this last week, there was the terrible story of a boy we think kidnapped and then tortured, forced to say things, do things, all live on Facebook, and it's all over the news. And the question is, how could this happen? And Don Lemon, a major news network's anchor, asked the all-important question, how, what is going on here? What is going on? And our answer to what is going on says a lot about us and what we believe. One of his guests had a very fine response. He said, this is man's inhumanity to man. All we need to do is try, try and wrap our mind around evil. And he was cut off. Don Lemon jumped into correct saying, and I quote, I don't think it's evil. I think these are young people and I think they have bad home training. I say, who's raising these young people? I have no idea who's raising these young people. It is inhumane. And you wonder, at 18 years old, where is your parent? Where is your guardian? And the things they were making him do are too shameful for me to speak in the sermon. Bad home training. As a friend put it well this week, one step from calling evil good is calling it bad home training. How can this muscle be neglected or abused? This muscle of exposing sin. Well, first, some of us just love exposing the darkness in a really bad way. And this is the only muscle we use and we abuse it. An imbalanced walk. We live for this. It's our nectar. And all the while, we forget that we were not walking in darkness, but we were darkness. And the Lord shined light on us to expose our sin in order that we might come into the light 
And his kindness leads us to repentance. Exposing doesn't mean so much that it can look like on the part of some for whom this is the only muscle they use. Alternatively, some of us hate exposing darkness. I mean, we would do anything except expose the darkness. And so we neglect this muscle. It feels proud. You know, we'd hate to be called holier than thou by anyone. Holiness isn't sexy. Maybe before you were a Christian, you perceived all Christians as the kind that just love to rub sin in your face. Let me offer a few thoughts to you, especially if perhaps this is your position right now and you feel like Christians just love rubbing sin in your face. That perception was Satan's purpose. He is behind the confusion of so many churches who carry a cross and meet on a Sunday but do not hold the Bible up or believe in Christ and yet speak for him. Westboro Baptist Church comes to mind. And he is behind the mild but real form of persecution where Christians are maligned in public culture, popular culture. The darkness loves to put a microphone to the craziest things people who say they represent the light say. The most wild-eyed and hateful among us, making you feel obtuse is just a strategy for the darkness to keep you from feeling so bold. But you are not what you perceived Christians to be. And Christians are not what Christians, what non-Christians always perceive us to be. Some of that's just made up stories. Sometimes we will be rejected because we've been lied about. And we get lied about. Jesus said so and it will happen. So be ready for that. And sometimes we're rejected by the darkness precisely because we're righteous. We're seeking to live in a way that's holy. Jesus said that would happen. And that's okay too. Be prepared for that. And it may feel out of place to participate or not participate at certain times in order, as if it might communicate that you are more holy. But may I suggest to you that it's okay to be holy. Like, like as a Christian, if you're 10 years into being a Christian, we don't talk this way in this culture or this time, but you should be more moral. You should be more moral inside and out than you were. And that should have a kind of an effect on relationships, an attractional and a detractional effect. Holier than thou is not an attractive thing to be called if it refers to pride and condescension. We should have no part in that. But if it refers to an actual holiness and set-apartness, well, then that's just fine and to be welcomed, even if its rejection is not celebrated. Both dangers of neglect and abuse are forms of darkness. One is proud. We aren't of the darkness. That's a form of darkness. The other is afraid of what the darkness will think of us if it knows that we're light. And that's a form of darkness too. The fifth point today, the fifth muscle we'll look at, which is really more like an outcome than a muscle, will help us. There is an evangelistic aim to all of this. Remember Jesus' words, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He's applying some of what we'll reflect on in a moment. And that text from Matthew is our text for next week. Yes, we are righteous in order to please the Lord and as well to see others come to please him as well. So fifth, walking as children of the light means transforming, transforming, and that is transforming the darkness. Verses 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I had a boss, and he was not a believer. And I'm not talking about being here at this church. But he had a whole bunch of believers working for him and he kept hiring them and they worked hard and they showed up and he took good care of customers and they made a lot of money. And uh, it was a good, good thing for everybody. They also addressed him about his sin and they shared the gospel, those that got close enough with him. And if a group of us were out for dinner after a long day and um, sharing conversation and 
he ordered a beer and had more than you should have, maybe not being drunk, but he's smart enough to know it, have someone drive me home, one or two of us would, would drive our, our friend home. Once, me and a brother were driving one of the bosses home, he needed a ride, my friend was preaching the gospel to him and asking questions about Jesus, and in that situation, he was very engaged in listening and curious. And after we dropped my friend off, the boss said to me, when he talks, it's just like, you know it's true. You know it's true. I like to think that maybe I'm hearing what he really thinks that he might not say during the day. Maybe the Lord is at work in him. Another memory, one of my Christian colleagues had a wedding and a number of us were there and he was, a boss was there and his comment the next week, that wedding, that was a bastion of goodness. And what's he saying? Well, he's saying, it was bright, it was right, it was good. I want to go back to that. And did that represent what he was committed to in his life? Well, I'll tell you it didn't. And yet he was struck with the beauty of the thing. You see, in this passage, Paul is explaining what I think is happening there. What may be happening in your life right now? Paul quotes a familiar first century hymn, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And this little hymn is derived from Isaiah. Two places in Isaiah, actually. Isaiah 26, 19, listen to these words. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwelt in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Speaking of salvation to come. Isaiah 60, arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, Darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. You see, Paul's logic here is the logic of Isaiah. The Lord shines on his people who are in darkness, and as he shines on them and in their hearts, they are transformed from darkness into light so that their lives and their faces radiate his brightness. And as his people are transformed, Jesus, the light of the world, the Messiah who does this, makes his people the light of the world so that the world looks on them and sees the brightness of Christ. And it is through the brightness and the radiant righteousness of his people that God shines his light into the unbelievers' hearts and they too come to believe and to see and to be transformed and are made bright themselves. The nations come to your light, he says. It's beautiful. And just as Jesus put it, applying this very verse, the world sees your good works or your light and glorifies your Father in heaven. I found an article on the web this week titled, and I had to click, but it was worth it, Need Better Morale in the Workplace? Simulate a plane crash. Subtitle, would almost drowning with your colleagues help you become a better team player? A company called Survival Systems thinks so. And they've got this whole simulated experience where we're in a cabin and there's water and they said, no one has drowned yet. So it's a high risk experience. Maybe it's worth it if it'll change your team. I don't know. It's a dramatic and expensive way to transform a team's performance. Well, we need at a spiritual level resurrection from the dead. We're darkness and we need to become light. And a life with bright righteousness, your life with bright righteousness is God's expensive and dramatic way of shocking the darkness around you and transforming it into light in a company with the preaching of the gospel. And one step in that process is the exposure of sin for what it is by the light. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that is visible becomes light. That's what he's saying here. When you live in such a way as to confuse righteousness with sin, you block the light of Christ's gospel into the darkness of the world around you. 
And when you live so far from the darkness that it can't tell that you are there, you're blocking the light of Christ's glory into the darkness of the world, the reason for which you're here. And if your main exposure to unbelievers is TV or internet, you may be missing out on the chance to see God's transforming light which has changed you, change others right before your very eyes. One of the great privileges of being left here before we meet Christ one day. The dangers here, of course, with this muscle, are to think that we can utterly and completely change the world through our life, or that we can't bring about any change at all. And of course, neither are true. Remember what Jesus said. He said, people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's true, but he wasn't done. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Some will come into the light and be transformed by it. So that's some spiritual therapy for your Christian walk this week. Five muscles for a balanced stride, a healthy, balanced, and bright moral life. You might feel weak, and that's okay, Keep walking and use all the muscles. You may be feeling one in particular. Well, work on it. Your discernment will get clearer. Your refraining will get easier. Your exposing will get more effective. And as you do all of this, you will watch yourself, God through you, transform some of the darkness around you in ways that brighten your face all the more for how wonderful it is to be a part of God's work. So may our friends say with the psalmist, Lord, let your face shine that we may be saved. And may he answer that plea with the words of another psalmist through us. Out of Zion, God's people, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Out of God's people, the perfection of beauty, may God's light shine forth in Albuquerque. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this letter to the Ephesians from Paul. How much I love this letter and how unfamiliar I've actually been with this part of the letter. Father, I thank you for what we've seen and what you've helped me to see this week in it. We pray that we would be transformed, that we would become more radiant, more bright as we walk as children of light. And we do pray that through our righteous lives on display, humbly and beautifully, your light might shine into the hearts of those who don't know you and that they might come to you and to be children of light themselves. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.